You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Our hearts have been prepared to hear from God's Word as uh, we have worshipped the Lord in singing and uh, some great songs with some strong uh, words and then uh, that image that we just saw on the screen uh, the picture of the great exchange and that's our Easter series uh, this year it's called the great exchange and um, and so we want to dive into Romans 1 in just a moment but uh, before we do that we probably should ask the question about Easter uh, but why but why And because if you don't understand what Easter is about, if you don't understand why Christ came, if you don't understand what the death of Christ was for, um, then you don't understand what the need is. If there's no need of a savior, if there's no need from deliverance from sin, then why do we why do we need the gospel? Why do we need the work of Jesus Christ? And so we want to make sure we answer that question as we dive into the series called The Great Exchange. Um, there'll be four messages in the series. Uh, this week and next week, we're going to be taking a look more at the topic of the why. The why of the great exchange. Uh, today, we want to take a look at uh, the reality of the fact that we exchanged uh, God's glory for our glory. Uh, next week, we want to take a look at the reality that we exchanged our righteousness for sinfulness. And those are the uh, two uh, messages that kind of lead up to Easter weekend. And then um, those are the why. And then uh, part three on Good Friday, we want to take a look at the how. And uh, that's looking at what did Christ do in his sacrifice for us on the cross. And then we get to uh, Easter Saturday night and Easter Sunday. And that's all about the wow as we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how he did what he said he would do, how he accomplished what he set out to accomplish, and all of that so we could have eternal life. So The Great Exchange is the series. Uh, The first two are really about our part in creating this need for The Great Exchange, the why. And we're going to start in Romans 1. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start reading at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their righteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that we hold in our hands. We thank you for these words that that Paul wrote so long ago to the church in Rome that they might clearly understand the devastation of man, of man, of man, man's situation, the separation of man and God, the 
hopelessness that, that uh, we find ourselves in. And yet, Father, all throughout this book, we see the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord, Father. That's why we have Easter. We have Easter because Christ came to satisfy your wrath. And the only way that was possible was with the shedding of his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So God, give us ears to hear your word today. Would you give us minds to understand it? And then God, would you place in each of us a heart to passionately live out for the fame of our Savior, whose name is Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, as I said, our Easter series is the great exchange, and really the, uh, one of the greatest verses that kind of gives you that concept is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And, and that's the picture of the, of the great exchange. Uh, it's interesting, though, because... The exchange, when I think about an exchange, and the exchange about when God thought about an exchange and the great exchange are so different. If, um, well, when we think about that word, first of all, just kind of in its definition, the word exchange means an act of giving one thing and receiving another, especially of the same type or value in return. So I'm looking to give something. I'm looking to get something of equal value in return. Uh, you could use the word trade. You could use the word swap. It's the same idea. Uh, when I buy a pair of pants and I get them home and find out that they're far too loose because I've lost so much weight and I have to take them back, I expect to get a fair exchange. I'm either going to get another pair of pants or I'm going to get my money back. And there's going to be an exchange, and it's going to be an equal exchange. But that's not what the great exchange looks like. When you think about what God got in the great exchange, God sacrificed his son to get me, a wretch, a sinner, who hated him and didn't want to have anything to do with him. But when you think about the great exchange, think about the awesome, the awesome work of Jesus Christ. How God was willing to, in his son, how Jesus Christ was willing in that exchange to, to give up his life. For God to give up his son so that he can have you. And the picture of the exchange is the picture of I get all of Christ's righteousness put on me and all of my sin is put on him. In whose world is that a good exchange? When well, God's economy, it's a great exchange. Because God came, for our sake he made him to be sin and knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, mankind, exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. And God exchanged his son, Jesus Christ, so you can have eternal life. The great exchange was necessary because the wrath of God had to be satisfied. The love of God would be demonstrated. The hopeless of man had to be removed. The great exchange. Our message today is called the foolish exchange. I would like to think I was smart enough when I prepared this title to think that it hit on April Fool's Day weekend. Um, actually had nothing to do with it, although somebody pointed that out to me last night, and I said, I wish I was that smart. Um, 
This is all about the foolishness that mankind made when he exchanged the glory of God for the glory of self. So let's dive right into the text and answer the question, why Easter? Why Easter? Well, in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why Easter? Well, because God had revealed himself and man chose to suppress the revelation of God. He chose to push it down because he wanted to put himself on the throne. It's a decision that Adam and Eve made. We're going to see that towards the end of the message. It's a decision that we make all of the time in our lives where we're more about our glory, more about what we want, and less and less about what God wants. And so, as a result, the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed. Why Easter? Because we are under the wrath of God. The idea is simple but sobering. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against the human race, and the human race deserves the wrath of God. Well, what is this wrath? Well, here it is. Wrath is the holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction of his holiness. That's what it is. Wrath is the holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction of his holiness. And God's holiness was on display for all of mankind to see. A God who has in relationship with man for him to see all that he was and to walk with him and be blessed with him. And, and man, we chose ourselves over the glory of God and his wrath is then put on us. You know, just a couple verses earlier in Romans chapter 1, Paul had talked about the gospel. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this is what God has given us in Christ. But the why, the why is because we chose our own glory over the glory of God. Unless there's something to be saved from, there's no point in salvation. And we need to be saved from our sin. We need to be saved from our separation from God. We need to be saved from our taking on ourselves what isn't ours to take on and really belong to God. And so we needed a great salvation. And that great salvation came in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God's wrath is his divine displeasure with our sin. Even in the text, it it talks about, um, in verse 18, it says, um, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That word ungodliness refers to man's offense against God specifically. The word unrighteousness speaks of the acts against God, but also the acts against others. And so God's wrath, God's wrath is being poured out. And Easter is the answer to that. God never condemns us without a just cause. And in this text, there are three things, three bases are stated for his judgment. The first one is in verse 18, and it's for suppressing God's truth. 
The second one is for ignoring God's revelation. And the third one is for perverting God's glory. And uh, we're going to take a look at those verses and see some of those things. And uh, so as we think about the revelation of God, we see how God reveals. God reveals in verses 19 and 20. Here's what it says. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. I want to take a look today at five ways that God has revealed himself. This isn't the whole list. We don't have time to go through the whole list, but I want to pick five. And the first one is the one that's really demonstrated in this text, but God has revealed himself in other ways other than what's found in Romans chapter 1. And the first way he revealed himself is in his creation. God revealed himself in his creation for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. The person who says there is no God, the Bible says in Psalm 14, one is a fool, is a fool. Because all we have to do is stop and look around and see God's handiwork and see his working. His invisible attributes are clearly perceived. There are, there are two, two kinds of revelation, really, as we think about God. There's a, what we call a general revelation that's in his creation. And then there's special or specific revelation, which are some of the other things uh, that we're going to see. And, and God shows himself to us in his creation. Psalm 19, 1 to 3 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Uh, here is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Uh, we were blessed to live up in Muskoka for 16 years. And many times that night we would go out on our porch and look up and see God's handiwork in the stars. You can't do that south of Major Mac, okay, just so you know. You might look up and see a couple stars and, and then see one of them moving and realize it's an airplane going into the airport. If you want to get and see the glory, you've got to get north of Stouffville to see the glory of God. Um, the glory of God is not found in Stouffville. <laughs> but it's so cool to get out beyond where all the lights are. Like where Sue and I live, you look up, and I tell you this all the time, all we see are the lights of Shopper's Drug Mart glowing off of the clouds, right? That's, you don't see the glory of God. But you get north, you get outside of the city, you get away from all the hustle and bustle, and you lay out in a field and you look up and you see the Milky Way. And you're amazed at God's handiwork. Gets out outside of the city and all the bricks and mortars and you see the lakes and you see the trees and you see the valleys and you see it and you see God's handiwork and you go, this was not a blip, this was not a bang, this was not a, this is God's working. And what has man done? Well, man's tried to suppress it. Man's tried to push it down. And so our world is filled with all kinds of lies as man tries to suppress the truth. But God has revealed, he's revealed himself in his creation. 
He's revealed himself in the handiwork of his stars. I remember one time driving out of the city of Toronto, uh, going back up to Muskoka, and I was driving up Highway 11 somewhere north of Bracebridge, and there weren't any other cars. It was late at night, and, and I'm driving along, and I look up, and I see the northern lights. If you've never seen the northern lights, you need to get out of the city sometime when the northern lights are going to be, and see them. The only problem is you can't plan it, but, but there they were, the greens and all, just, just going across, cascading across the sky. And I saw God's handiwork. See, everyone is without excuse because God has demonstrated himself in his revelation. And even though he's demonstrated himself in his revelation of himself, in this general revelation, man has chosen himself over God. Man has chosen his glory over the glory of God. And so this general revelation or this, um, this general revelation, it, it shows four things. First of all, it shows a clear testimony. Everyone is aware of it. Everyone gets to see the same thing. We all get to see the handiwork of God. The second thing is everyone can understand it. Our, our, our minds are bombarded by lies of the world. Well, why would the world want to... The world hates God. It's going to do everything it can to destroy the working of God. But everyone can understand it. We can all draw conclusions about the creator from his creation. And third, this revelation has gone out since the creation. Since the creation. In the beginning, God created. God did the work of creation. And when you push aside your beliefs about God and creation, you take away a big part of the way God has revealed himself to the world. God's word says God's revealed himself in his creation. Be careful the lies you listen to and the conclusions they bring you to. Revelation has gone out since the creation. But this revelation is limited. Natural revelation makes man responsible to respond to his creator in worship and submission. However, it does not give sufficient information for him to experience salvation. And so God has revealed himself in other ways. And, uh, and so very quickly, here's, uh, here's a few of them. Uh, God has revealed himself from time to time. God has revealed himself in, in dreams or visions. And I put this one next because I want to get down to the ones I think are really critical for us. Um, but some of you in this room have been praying and God has given you a dream or a vision that hasn't been a big part of my spiritual walk, although when I was leaving the ministry was, I was in and God leading us to this ministry, I was uh, in a guy's basement in Oshawa with, with uh, him and another man and we were just praying to God and praying to God and praying to God because I needed direction in my life. I wasn't sure what I should do. I wasn't sure if I should go. I wasn't sure where I was going to go. And in the middle of one of those prayer times, so some people would say, God spoke to me. Well, that would be the closest thing I can say was my God spoke to me moment in my life. And he said, you, you can go. You can go. The problem with uh, visions and dreams, and we see them, I just picked Joseph in the Old Testament as one picture of it. Remember him and his brothers and the dreams and the vision and it got him into all kinds of trouble, but it was God gave it to him and then God delivered in the end. And in the New Testament, Joseph, after he found out that Mary was pregnant, he wanted to divorce her privately, put her away. He wanted to be as honorable as he could, but this thing is over as far as... And God revealed himself to him in a dream. So God does that. I'm not going to deny he does it. God's done it with me. But be very careful if you become that person that says, God spoke to me. God told me. 
And the only thing you ever learn from God is the thing that God tells you outside of these other things we're going to see. And don't ever come to me and say, well, God told me to do something that's a direct contradiction to what the Bible says. Most of the time I hear that statement, it's somebody trying to justify something they want to do and God hasn't revealed it at all to them, uh, maybe the devil or maybe their own selfish desires. Uh, God told me to marry that unsaved guy or God told me to marry that unsaved woman or God told me it was okay to cheat and cut corners in this area. God never told you that. And so always test those things because God can work in that way. And from time to time, God does work in that way, but I don't think it's the primary way that God works today. But it happens. It's in the scripture. It's happened to me, and I wouldn't deny it. And so that's the second way. Here's the third way. Uh, God's revealed himself in his word. Uh, God reveals himself in his word. If you're that person, God told me, God told me, God told me, and you're not in God's word every day, I got, hey, here's a better thing for you to do. Get into God's word and listen to what it says in Psalm, 19, excuse me, Psalm 19, 7 and 8. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You want to know what to do? You want to see God? You want a revelation of who he is and all that he has done for you? Get in God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture, all of it, everything, you got it right here. You've got one. If not, there's one there. If there's one, you get one and guess what's If you don't have one, get one because this is God's word. All scripture is breathed out by God. Okay, well then, I better pay attention because it's breathed out by God. If it's breathed out by God, I want to be taking that in. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof. Sometimes we need some reproving. Sometimes we need some correcting and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete or mature and equipped for every good work. And so God reveals himself through his word fourth one is God has revealed himself in his son in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God that's what John 1 1 says and here's an amazing passage Hebrews 1 1 to 4 a long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through him also, he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God has revealed himself to us in his son. Uh, you want to see the revelation? You want to be able to live out your life? Follow Jesus. Look what he did. Look what he accomplished. Uh, you come to Easter with a fresh set of eyes of why did he come? What did he do? What did he accomplish? God has revealed himself in his son. And then the fifth way is God has revealed himself in his spirit to the hearts of man. So many people get this idea that like they were on a search, a quest for God, and then they found him. Never happened. Never happened. Man's not searching after God. 
Man is searching after self. Man isn't putting God's glory on the throne. Man is putting his own glory on the throne. Well, I know, but I, but I found myself and I was looking for a church and I had a struggle and I went through. That was God working in your heart, beginning the process that brought you to the place where you would put your trust in Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit of God has done and God has revealed himself in his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit teaches everything even the depths of God. And so in our text, we have this picture of the need because of this wrath of God that's being poured out. And then we see the working of God in his revelation for us. But now we take a look at our own and mankind's rejection of God. We find it in verses 21 and 22. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The first thing it says there, they did not honor him. Although they knew God, they did not honor him. Did you notice it says, it didn't say they did not know God. I, I really hadn't noticed that before. It says, the problem is not that man did not know God, but that he did know him, and yet he refused to glorify him as God. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They had the general revelation. They saw all of the things. This is pointing back, I believe, to Adam and Eve and the fall and, and mankind in general. And um, although they knew God, God put it all out there for them to know. And they did not honor him. They did not honor him. And so the problem is not that man did not know God, but that he did know him, and yet he refused to glorify him as God. Because of our sinful nature, we cannot resist the temptation to create God in our own image, in a corrupt image, an image that is beneath him, an image that steals his glory and puts the glory on ourself. Man rejects, it says he did not honor him. And then look at the second thing that it says there. He did not honor him as God or, or give thanks to him. He did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. That's an interesting statement. This is significant. Gratitude precedes faith. Gratitude precedes faith. You're on this quest, which God's working, and you come to the place of brokenness as you understand what Christ did for you. The trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior is a testimony of God's goodness and it's being thankful. Salvation begins when you get to the place in your life of I can't do it. God did it. Oh my goodness. And you receive the gift. Well, that comes out of thanksgiving. That comes out of rejoicing in what God did. And it says right in the text, although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. They set it all aside. I love these words. Uh, when you can take up a bit of bread and a cup of cold water 
and say with the poor Puritan, what? All of this and Christ too? When you can look around and you can see the handiwork of God, you can see it in his creation, you can see the stars, you see his creation on the earth, and you realize God's provision for you and the bread you eat and the food that you have and, and the clothes that you have and the roof over your head, and, and you can say, God, all of this and Christ too? But we rejected it. We didn't want it. We chose self-gratification over what God has given to us. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And the thinking of man, the thinking of man always pushes us away from God on the throne to self on the throne. It always pushes us away from who God is and reaching out to him. And it puts us to reaching out to self. And so God reveals himself to mankind and man rejects God. And that's the picture of the foolish exchange, verse 22 and 23, claiming to be wise they became fools. They became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. That was our idea of a great exchange. I have all that God offers to me. And I'm going to choose what I can get out of life, what I can accomplish. And I think that's a great plan. And mankind became fools. And we became fools. Because we exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. Great verses in 1 Chronicles 16, 28 and 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, and bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. We need to understand God's glory is his, God's purpose is his own glory. God's purpose is his own glory. If you're a person whose purpose is your own glory, you're arrogant, you're proud. But God's purpose is his own glory. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 6.3 says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Remember, Isaiah says this vision of the Lord, vision and dreams. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God's purpose is his own glory. Wasn't that prideful? Isn't that selfish? Isn't that self-serving? Well, it is for us. But it isn't for the creator of the heavens and the earth. It isn't for the one who is the giver of life. That's who God is, and that's what he deserves. And God's purpose is his own glory. 
Isaiah 42, 8 nails this down. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. My glory goes to no one else. And when man stole God's glory, God's wrath comes down on mankind. God's purpose is his own glory. How about this? God's glory is why you are here. You're here for God's glory. Um, Psalm 86, 12 says, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. God's glory is why we're here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The Presbyterians got it right in the Westminster Shorter Catechism when it questioned, what's the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And we glorify God by, rever- by rehearsing his attributes and his deeds. You glorify God when you lay on your back out in a field and you see the creation of all that God has done and you give him the glory. You glorify God when you uh, give thanks for the food that he has given you. you. You glorify God when you understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished for you and you come to, come to Easter and the wrath poured out on Christ so his wrath isn't poured out on us and we're broken because of our sinfulness and we rejoice in what God's done and we give God the glory. Our purpose is to glorify God. It involves agreeing with who he is and what he's done. It involves submission of coming under him. It involves obedience of doing what he tells us to do. And we rehearse those attributes of his holiness and his faithfulness and his mercy and grace and love and majesty. The fact that he is sovereign, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, just to name a few. And we rehearse those over and over and over again because our purpose is to glorify God. So God's glory is... God's glory is the purpose of himself. God's glory is why we're here. And um, here's one. God's glory is why you were redeemed. God's glory is why you were saved. Like I always thought I was saved so that God could demonstrate that he loved me and I could have eternal life. And that's true for sure. But I was saved so that I could demonstrate the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. You were saved, why? For God's sake. For my own sake. And God says, and I will not remember your sins. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. The glory of God is shown in our salvation. And so the question again for everyone in the room, every week we talk about this is, have you, have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you come to the place of understanding that you have stolen the glory of God and you've taken it for yourself? 
And as a result, God's wrath is poured out on mankind. As a result, Jesus Christ had to come. As a result, he had to shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So when you see a gory picture of a Jesus on the cross, just realize without that, there is no satisfaction of God's wrath. Understand without that, there is no salvation for us. And understand that he did it for you. He did it so you could have eternal life. <laughs> the great exchange. Christ on the cross so I could have peace with God. And you didn't have to earn it. You certainly can't pay for it. And God offers it to you as a gift. It's a gift. But you have to believe and you have to receive the gift. And you have to trust that the reason that you will stand before God made right is because what Jesus Christ did for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you've never done that, you are the picture of the person God's wrath on. That's a picture of mankind. You're no different than anybody else in the room. Without Jesus Christ, God's wrath is being poured out on you. And you may not experience it now, but you're going to experience it. And yet Jesus Christ offers himself as the gift, himself as the sacrifice, himself as the atonement, the payment, himself for the satisfaction of God's wrath. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the Bible says. And all of that was there, but we chose self. And we chose our selfish desires. And in the verse it talks about we exchanged the glory of God for the um, excuse me, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God offers all of that to us and we still choose ourselves. Started back in the garden, started with Adam and Eve. Uh, they had it all. They had it all. They, it was sweet for them. Now they had to work. Work didn't start after the fall. They had to work. But they were working on God's behalf. They were going to take care of the garden. They had to do some gardening. And no weeds were a problem. Bugs, they weren't swatting mosquitoes all the time. Bees weren't worrying about stinging them. They weren't worried about any of those things. They had it made. And then Eve is tempted. And for all the men who go, yeah, yeah, women. See, that's the problem. It's all about what the women did. Okay, you just never read your Bible. I'm just telling you, go back and read your Bible. And you'll see, it says right in the text, that Eve was tempted and Adam was with her. He was standing right there. As a matter of fact, his failure in some ways is more devastating than hers because there he was. Eve was made from a bone out of Adam's side and he was to lead and care for her. And the most important thing, he failed. And here's what happened. They were told, you don't eat of that tree. And the serpent came and tempted her, tempted them. And they saw and they wanted and they took. That's what they did. They saw, and they wanted, and they took. And they ate of the fruit, and they noticed they're naked all of a sudden, and the first sacrifice, an animal's killed, so they can have a, a skin put on them, and, and go, what did you do? And they blame each other, they blame the serpent, everybody gets blamed. Because they didn't want the glory of God, they wanted what they could have in the moment. And now the wrath of God is poured out on all on all of mankind. And before we're too hard on them, 
We need to realize we're not that different. As a matter of fact, we're exactly the same. I'm born a sinner. I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I, that's what David said. And I'm born a sinner for sure. But the, those traits that Adam and Eve had, those are the traits of my heart. And those are the traits of your heart. Uh, until you trust Christ, it's all about what you want or how you're going to get ahead in life. All the blessings you're going to have based on what you can steal, what you can get, what you can have. It's because you see and you want and you take and they did it, and we do it every day. The guy in the office looking at the woman across the uh, office room, and he sees her. He may not physically ever do anything, but he wants her, and in his mind, he takes her. I saw, I wanted, I took. To make fair for men, the woman who's walking through the store and sees the shoes, and already has like 25 pairs. I saw, I wanted, I took. I didn't need those things. I just wanted those things. The student who sits in the classroom and struggling in a, in a study and looks across and can see the answers on someone else's page. And I saw, and I wanted, and I and I took or the couple who wants to go on this vacation because their neighbors always seem to get to go somewhere and we never get to go somewhere. And they, I saw and I wanted and I took and it, it wasn't the right time. You couldn't afford to do it. You shouldn't be doing it. And see, God offered us his glory and we chose ourself. What a foolish, foolish exchange. And that's why Christ had to come. That's why, the, that's why the great exchange had to happen. Well, so what? So what? Verses 24, 25 kind of bring all of this to a hammering close. It says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their own hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The foolish exchange is that we, mankind, exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. Why Easter? Because we exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. Man's rebellion against God in ignorance, in idolatry, in impurity, as we see in the text. And this had to be satisfied because as a result of our sinfulness, God's wrath is poured out on us. And the wrath of God had to be satisfied. The love of God had to be demonstrated. The hopelessness of man had to be removed. Man's idea of a great exchange is I'll steal the glory from God and I'll put it on myself. And God said, my wrath will be poured out on you. One of my uh, pastor friends on Facebook uh, this week, um, he put this verse up and he said, um, pray this if you dare. Pray this if you dare. It's found in Exodus 33, verse 18. And Moses said, please God, Show me your glory. Show me your glory. 
Every day, God, I'm going to put my focus on getting the, uh, my eyes off of the glory of self, and I'm going to get my eyes on the focus of glory of God. I'm going to look to see God in the creation. I'm going to listen to God when he speaks to me. I'm going to open God's word every day. God, show me your glory. I'm going to look at the working of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to say, God, show me your glory. And I'm going to trust God's Holy Spirit to work in me and reveal in me the things where I'm on the throne and he's not on the throne. Where I am making a foolish exchange, even as a follower of Jesus Christ, taking back things that belong to him and putting myself up on the throne. God, show me your glory. I've been making that my prayer. And I trust that maybe, maybe the rest of my life that should be my prayer. God, show me your glory. But between now and Easter, would that be your prayer every day? God, show me your glory so that you can work in me as you desire to work in me for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who satisfied the wrath of God on my behalf. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of it. We thank you for the way that it stirs our hearts. Lord, this, this word is your word. <coughs> I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. It's the way we are saved, but we chose. We chose ourself. We chose our glory. So why Easter? Why Easter to satisfy your wrath, God? You sent your son so we could have eternal life. And so as we come to Easter and realize the working of Christ on Good Friday and the amazing resurrection on Easter Sunday, as followers of Jesus Christ, Lord, we should be lifted, we should be encouraged, we should be desiring to follow hard after you. Every day, God, work in us. Show me your glory that I wouldn't make the foolish choice of self on the throne. Do this work, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.